1: Is Lloyd, Lloyd, to Lloyd,
0: Lloyd, Lloyd, Lloyd. Kane, if you were suspended from this podcast for drug use, I definitely would not have a, co- a clause in your contract saying that you couldn't be dropped in the future.
1: Yeah, that that's, that would seem like a, a pretty wise move. I, I do wonder what the, the podcast would sound like if that was the case. We might, uh, we, we who knows? We might lose a few listeners. We might uh, gain a few listeners. Who would know? I, I, I don't think I'm going to be going down that path, though. I'll say that. Yeah, well, let's let's hope not. We, we're... I know that we're not conducting
0: drug tests here, so I think we're going to be <laughs> alright in that area. But know, uh, yeah, conspiracy theories rife uh, with the the turmoil at Essendon. We're going to talk a little bit more about Essendon later in the show. But Kane, we can't start this show anywhere else apart mm-hmm. from what we saw on the weekend. Now, semi final week in the AFL historically has led to some uh, some lopsided contests. I hope I talked about this last week. I'm pretty sure I did. That saying yeah, that we get that hype of the team winning versus the team losing, and then we we. Conflate that with, like, maybe these teams are going to be competitive. They weren't. The uh, the two games, the better team won uh, pretty comfortably. That is something that you know, over the history of the finals tends to happen, and we saw that in uh, in a pretty uh, dominant display from both Richmond and Geelong over the week. And we'll start with Richmond uh, and St Kilda, which is the closer of the two games. Do you think how we've talked back kicking all year? How how <laughs> shit it is, and St Kilda's benefited. They benefited last week from the Bulldogs kicking poorly. They benefited in wins over Port Adelaide from them kicking unbelievably and it bit them in the ass here because they just could not convert shots at goal. Do you think that that actually was, uh, could it have made them at least a chance to win if they had a converted at a higher rate or that was maybe just putting a little bit of a, a ribbon on or an excuse for a, a, a poor performance?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I mean, the, the big thing with goal kicking and you know, we've, we've spoke about it all season. Everyone that, that covers the game has spoke about it all season. But the reason for St. Kilda's great accuracy, as we've spoken about, is the fact that they get easy shots on goal, and they get those shots from within 25 metres. And you'll notice watching the game on Friday night, and this is why it was such a key for St. Kilda, they just didn't get those shots. They didn't get those easy attempts. So certainly, you know, six goals, 13 isn't the accuracy that they were after. But I, I do also look down the other end and look at Tom Lynch, who missed a bunch of easy ones as well i think he finished two goals five uh for the game and may have even had uh, another shot not not register a score so i, I think it went both ways in this one I, I don't think it was one of those contests that you look and say it was an evenly matched game like for instance the the geelong port Adelaide game the week earlier i i think i i looked at that and i said okay this game both teams dominated for stretches I think the accuracy was clearly the big difference, and and it really came back to bite Geelong. I didn't really feel that way watching this game with St. Kilda, but above all else, I just felt really bad for the Saints. I mean, we know that the three outs that they had, uh, they just looked overmatched. They looked overmatched from the start, and it started in the middle, and losing Patty Ryder was just, I mean, it, it it was a blow for the Saints, and they couldn't overcome that.
0: Yeah, exactly. That was always going to be tough for them, Um, and it doesn't help when you're missing those goals. And Max King kicked uh, kicked three behinds in this one, didn't have the same sort of impact the other week before, still took some marks, but that was the concern we had, is what would happen in the midfield there, and would that Saints midfield be able to step up? Jack Steele responded uh, after a down week last week, um, but it wasn't. Yeah, you know, Bradley Hill wasn't able to, to step up. Um, they Zach Jones didn't really you know, take his game to the next level, which they needed to do. And it was you know, from the outset. You just went, "Oh, Richmond's the better team here." That's how we came in feeling it in the first quarter. With we said, well, this is. You know, and if it wasn't for that goal that Tenkiri would have kicked, literally on the siren, um, hmm. that uh, yeah, it would have looked a little <laughs> bit uglier there in uh, in that first quarter. And it, it appeared over pretty quickly.
1: Uh, Yeah, Uh, I like that you said they kicked the goal on the siren um, and not about three seconds after when the siren should have been because uh, that was unbelievable that that goal uh, went ahead and they were able to get that one. But yeah, I still had some hopes that the Saints were able to get back into it. And I'll say this, I mean, outside of the barrage in the first quarter, St. Kilda certainly held their own. I mean, this wasn't a a complete domination, but again, the centre clearance was 15-5 in favor of the Tigers, we spoke about the, the loss of, of Patty Ryder, but it was too easy out of the middle. And you spoke about Seb Ross had 25 touches and Steele as well. But I just thought the way that the Tigers were able to walk the ball from the center circle really hurt them because around the stoppage clearances, the Saints 21 to 14, they were able to set up a little bit better, get some more numbers around the ball. But yeah, difficult to ask for Rowan Marshall. Hasn't been playing in the in the center as much as he has in the past, certainly through this season. So I thought that the Tigers actually—they got a bit of luck in the first quarter, didn't they? With the uh, with some of the bounces they got, and and it just helped them get that momentum. And sometimes you need a little bit of luck. But there was a couple of goals—one to Bolton, and oh, yeah. there was another there was another one that just just got a really really lucky bounce. I think it was uh, Macintosh actually, and, and they just got lucky bounces and they went through for goals. And it, and it was kind of it felt like an early killer blow to the Saints, just for them mentally. If those had gone through and they had been behinds and St Kilda are still in the game and they're probably only a goal or two behind at quarter time and feel like they're back in it. So it was just it was just tough. It was tough. They needed to get off to a quick start here because we knew the Tigers were, were going to come out breathing fire and wanting to obviously get back to the prelim. And the Saints had to withstand that. And it just felt like they were overwhelmed a little bit. Yeah, So they did have all the luck. Well, not all the lucky because they got that goal on the siren.
0: Mm. But yeah, that why that Shea Bolton bounce, he kicked three goals out of just eleven touches, a pretty good return from him. But then also that uh the faked touched goal that they kicked that you know went on replay and then of course we had arc controversy once again okay. of a ball. Is it touch? Is it not? Um, all that sort of stuff. And uh, you know, players claiming touch when they perhaps didn't. That was a, that was a strange one as well. So they didn't have everything going their way. Richmond also 9-1 in the first half to pretty much put the game away. The second half, both teams kicked three goals, seven. So mm-hmm. they had equal scoring shots. They were equally shit in terms of converting those scoring shots. But the opportunities were there. But when Richmond's yeah, pulling away and leading by five goals at halftime, and they are Richmond, and we know that they can put that pressure on you, it is going to be hard to come back from that. And some of that was some of those lucky uh, incidences early on. But that's not taking anything away from Richmond because they were always, you know, were in the box seat to win. They showed that they were the team that was t- uh, the team to beat early on. They went out, they did what they needed to do. Yeah, you know, big games from from Dusty looked pretty good. Bashahuli off, off half back. Yeah, you know, the return of guys like Edwards over the last couple of weeks. He was massive in this game as well. Prest is still working his way back in. And really, that, they had control for, for most of it. And it never really felt like St. Kilda was like yeah, pushing or, or charging and like, oh, if they get a couple here, they're in business.
1: I never really felt that in this game. No, not at all. And Tom Lynch, I mean, we're going to talk about him and we can talk about some of the other stuff that he was doing. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you just you look at him in this team. And last week uh, against Brisbane, they looked – it was, it was just difficult for Jack Rewald. And, and listen, we know he's been a star. He's obviously stepped up in big games as well, in grand finals in particular. rewald has been huge. But uh, without Tom Lynch there, it is difficult for the Tigers. They become pretty one-dimensional in the way that they go forward. And they, they were putting it on uh, Rewald's head last week. And, and the Lions were just able to mop up, get two or three guys in the air to the contest and, and clear pretty easily. With Tom Lynch there, it just changes things up. And he was dominant. He was dominant. He kicked two goals, five, as I said, should have really kicked probably four goals, maybe five, but 17 disposals as well. Uh, I mean, w- w- it, it goes without saying. But putting him back in this team, they just looked uh, like an, on another
0: level. Yeah, they did, and from the first what thirty seconds it was when he took that mark inside fifty, and, and see, no Carlisle as well. It's worth noting. Yeah, that that's that's true. Like having look, Carlisle hasn't been in the greatest form this year, and we don't know what his future holds. But that's just another guy that you can throw on there to to, yeah. to try and yeah, cur- curb that influence. You talk about Rewalt. Rewalt looks in uh, in real trouble in terms of where he's at with his footy. He just appears like he's washed at, at this point, which is unfortunate for a bloke that's had such a great career. But he. Yeah, even in that secondary role, he just doesn't seem to... How many games this year has Reward actually had a big impact? And maybe that's a worry for Richmond moving forward. Here, yeah, you know, taking Brisbane, and if they win that one, what they have to do against Port or, or, or Geelong. Uh, oh, sorry, yeah. Have I got my matchups mixed up? Yeah, sorry, they're playing Port this week. So, yeah, Port this week, or then Geelong, Brisbane the, the week after. Um, yeah, the, the lack of impact that he's having, and if Lynch isn't firing, that, that's I guess that's somewhat of a concern for Richmond.
1: Yeah, so he's a couple of weeks away from turning 32, Jack. And listen, people were talking about this at the start of the season. Then he came back, and he actually had a, a pretty good patch. So I, I don't know. I mean, come towards the end of the season, particularly that game against Geelong uh, late in the season, which was billed as you know potentially game of the season by maybe me. I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> I, I might have thrown that out there yeah, once maybe. or twice this year. But, yeah, I mean, he was brilliant. And he kicked four goals against the Cats the next week. He had a couple against Adelaide, then two more against brisbane where he looked really dangerous and actually uh um, sorry that was in the final last week where he kicked two goals too um and, but he was the, the one guy by himself as I, as I sort of mentioned earlier so the fact that he only had four disposals in, in this one is it's not great for richmond there's no doubt about that but when you have tom lynch in there uh, at least it, jack can be a guy that he, and he was doing it all night long he was just flying at the footy uh, trying to create a contest he doesn't really put fear into anyone anymore as a guy that's going to tear a game apart. But uh, having said that, maybe he has got another game or two left in him. As I said, he's been, a, he's been a big game performer. The game against Brisbane I was talking about earlier in the season, sorry, that was round 10 where he kicked four goals in that game as well. So that just goes to show you that still in big games, he's been able to step up and kick goals.
0: One last thing on this one. We're going to do more of a post-mortem on St. Kilda uh, during the week. But I thought it was important that uh, they brought in uh, Nathan Broad. I thought he looked pretty good in this game. Mm. But I think Daniel Rioli looked looked more active in this game than he has. He's had some struggles this season. He was dropped earlier in the year. I thought he looked to be a little bit more active in that half-forward sort of area and was providing some it's a real danger for uh, yeah, for St. Kilda to, to try and yeah, curb. And that's something that he hasn't really been uh, anywhere near that level for big
1: chunks of this season. I thought he was not not at his best, but at least getting back to that level. Let me ask you one last thing here, because uh, I, I need to squeeze this in here: the Tom Lynch, the knee, <laughs> the Tom Lynch, the knee to the face, and because I, I tweeted after this and I said, you know, he he actually deserves a week just for being stupid enough to think that he could even get away with that without that being uh, on camera. Now, there's no there's going to be no repercussions for this. He's not getting any type of fine. He's not getting any type of suspension. But it's just ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely.
0: It, it, I just don't, I don't know. He's obviously got a, uh, a reputation. He's done it. Multiple times this season, those you know pushing blokes' heads into the the ground when they're when they're down after tackles. Um, we know the comments that Mitch Robinson had uh, about calling him a wanker. I'm sure that he, I'm sure it's not I'm sure he's not isolated in feeling that about yeah. Tom Lynch. And then these grubby sort of things he's doing on the field and just dropping that knee now, whether it was his head or his neck or his collarbone, whatever it is, he he did it deliberately, and it was it was ridiculous. And that's sort of like this guy can is a. Is a good to great player. He can impose himself on a game just by you know, pushing blokes out of the way, taking grabs, kicking goals. Not this sort of dirty shit that he's doing multiple times, three, four times this year. I'd say he's done something that's been pretty
1: questionable. So I don't think that, you know, I mean, clearly, like that incident in isolation, I mean, he was never going to get suspended for that. And I don't think anyone really wants him to get suspended from a prelim for that. But if you are a player, and we have spoke about this before where there's no, uh, I guess, um, roll on effect from from previous things that you've done anymore that's not part of the system but if you look at a couple of the incidents so you mentioned the one against Brisbane earlier in the season so it's it's a couple of times now where he's done just like little things that i mean it's just not a great look and he's done it off the ball and and i do wonder for incidents like that that aren't really footy related like it's not a bump it's not a um, a, a contest. The, the footy's nowhere near the ball. I, I do wonder moving forward whether there should be some sort of okay. Like, listen, you, you've done this three times this season. Now you can have a week off, mate, because you're acting like a real dick. Yeah, I, I
0: don't know why the. I, I don't think necessarily record should carry over. Yeah, you know, f- yeah. Four years ago, but from the same season, if you're getting cited multiple times, then surely there's something there's something in that because the idea of fines is to you know provide a monetary Disincentive to do these things, and if it doesn't work, then you got to do something different. Surely that's part of it. Like, if yeah, well, we're spending, we're suspending you, that's bad, you get a punishment, you can't play, and then the punishment doesn't actually achieve um, re- reducing the uh, the action in future yeah. weeks. Then yeah. what's the point of it? it- it's got to be different. I and I think, yeah, that-, that absolutely needs to be part of it in some way.
1: Should we talk about the
0: cats? Yeah, I'm sure you want to, so let's uh <laughs> let- let's do it right now. Because that game was, uh, for anybody who wasn't a Geelong fan, it was a snoozer. It was over. Actually, let's rephrase that. Unless you really get pleasure in seeing Collingwood get destroyed, (laughs) (laughs) which there are plenty of those people out there. Uh, it wasn't It wasn't the most exciting match from a competitive standpoint. This game was over real early as Geelong just uh, put the foot down as good teams will often do in this second week of the finals and they made Collingwood look absolutely second rate. And all those concerns we've had with Collingwood, where are they going to get goals from? They were, they were massively uh, in the forefront in this game and then that much vaunted defense couldn't do anything to stop Geelong.
1: No, I mean, <laughs> we've, people have used the, the phrase training run before. This honestly, for a semi-final, was as close to a training run as you could get. I mean, it was completely bruise-free. The Cats—they really dominated the game from start to finish. You spoke about the first quarter where Collingwood actually had a little bit of the footy and they had some opportunities. Certainly, the drop mark to Darcy Cameron stands out oh, as one wow, yeah. that they could have—you know—I mean—that that could have been an early shot on goal, and, and they maybe would have been able to to sort of get up a little bit because they just looked flat right from the start, and even. The one goal, I mean, they kicked one goal through uh, the three quarters and, and it came from a, a pretty miraculous piece of play from Jamie Elliott, a really, really great crumb in a stoppage situation. And this really has been the problem for Collingwood all year. And I've spoke about it. I said the only way that Collingwood can beat the top teams in the league is if they get a little bit of brilliance from someone, whether it's goey uh, Last week we saw Majacek with that freak goal that was running and then goey followed it up with the stoppage goal. It's just felt that way all year. Collingwood against the best teams, Needed miraculous uh, ways to score, and and it, and it just didn't happen. And it always felt like they were going to fall short, but I did not expect them to fall short in this manner.
0: They had two scoring shots in three quarters. Yeah, they piled yeah. on. Yeah, four goals in the in the four, uh, final quarter, but one goal in the first quarter, no score in the second, and one point in the in the third. Yeah, both of those scoring shots by Jamie Elliott. The discrepancy in disposals is actually phenomenal. I, yeah, it yeah. feels it feels like it's an error. It's two hundred to 358. That is uh, it's un- 134 marks to 46. I don't know how this, it feels like one team played a full game and the other team played
1: a half. Like those numbers are unbelievable. 200 disposals. I, I I know this year obviously there's been some some lower numbers because of the shorter quarters, but
0: I I don't know. I haven't I've never this. seen a team with 200 disposals this year. I I can't, I've, no. you know, I've looked at pretty much the numbers from every game. Uh, maybe I'm missing I, I cannot remember a, a team having 200
1: disposals. They averaged 315 on a season, Collinwood, so minus 115 disposals from their average on the season. It was ridiculous. And we know that the way the Cats play, so the fact that the Cats had 350 disposals is is not crazy. I mean, it's certainly above their average, but we know that they'll go with the uh, uncontested marks. That's the way they like to play. And I've actually said this all season long with Geelong. My concern for them coming into the finals is how they respond when they're under extreme pressure and whether or not... This was a a super sharp Cats team, and I think there's been a lot of attention drawn to the fact that Collingwood played in Perth last week. They came into this game. Maybe they were a little bit flat because they used all their tickets last week. I think that that's certainly part of the story, but I think the the other part of the story is a Cats team that came in ready to rebound from last week. Again, a game that I don't think they played too bad in, uh, and I think it was kind of overblown. Uh, the fact that the Cats lost against, hey, the, the team that finished on top of the ladder, a really good Port Adelaide team. So I think it was a bit of both. It was the perfect storm for the Cats to do this. But again, if you don't put pressure on Geelong, they're just going to absolutely pick you, to pick you apart. And, then they did, and they did it. I mean, those mark numbers that you mentioned, to be almost plus 100 in marks is just absolutely insane. The Cats controlled the footy. They were able to move the ball around and, and then attack when they needed to. And it, it, it was a clinic. It was a clinic. And um, not only that, but tackles were
0: even. How how does yeah. that how does that happen? That, that just no shows that just shows that yeah, there was Geelong just was doing whatever they wanted to. Everything was uncontested. They could just get the ball and move it around at will. Um, Geelong was great. I don't think this is any indication for us to go well. Look at Geelong, they are absolutely on fire here. Yeah, Brisbane, watch out because we maybe fall into that same trap of this uh, yeah, team that beat a team that was clearly inferior to them in Collingwood. And now there's that transfer over to against Brisbane because it's what's in your, your memory, man. Geelong killed them. I don't think this is like, wow, Geelong, absolutely unstoppable in this game. I think we have to just almost you know, rule out a lot of what we saw as being something that is translatable through to next week and then perhaps the week after because that that level of uncompetitiveness and it feels like I'm shitting on Collingwood and I am a little bit because that was poor. But that's just not something that you're going to get in these upcoming one or two more games that Geelong is going
1: to play. So how much we take out of that, I don't really know. No, it's going to be impossible for Brisbane to apply that little pressure. It's just, it would be impossible. Like it was, it was honestly pathetic and and they didn't even, and the thing was, once they went down, they basically just gave up and you could see that. They just, they basically stopped trying whether or not um, that was a, a conscious decision or it's just the, the all the air sort of got sucked out of them um, in this game, because of my concern coming in as a, as a Geelong fan was, well, if Collingwood get a few goals early, they're going to be up and about, and they just didn't get the opportunity to. The one thing I'll say about Geelong, and we've seen it through the season, so this isn't the first time that we've seen the Cats and the way they play completely destroy pretty good teams in Collingwood. You know, you could question where they finished on the ladder, but they are a finals team. They won by 68 points, but they beat Port by 10 goals. They beat St. Kilda by 10 goals. And even Brisbane, uh, you brought it up a couple of times in that game where uh, the Cats were down by 20 points in the second quarter and still uh, won that game by uh, 35 points, I think it was, in the end and kicked uh, 10 or 11 goals straight in that game. So they've shown an ability to do this against really good opposition all season long, Uh, put score on and put it on quickly.
0: Yeah, they have. Um, and that's something that is yeah, super important to, to watch. This, this Brisbane game coming up for Geelong is going to be really exciting. We'll, we'll talk about that later on. But they, they looked in real trouble in that Brisbane game early on in the season. Lockie Neal and Dane Zorko were putting so much pressure on. And then Paddy Dangerville said, nah, look, we're, we're, we're going to take over this game and then blew it apart after Brisbane missed a whole heap of chances. So yeah, Brisbane's going to have some bad memories from that game. Geelong's going to have a lot of confidence, bringing confidence from this one as well. It's going to be a, a really exciting... Preliminary uh, final coming up between yeah, these teams that were all in that top four for majority of the season. We sort of looked at them along with West Coast, which you know, in hindsight probably wasn't the right move to think they were the best four teams uh, in the league. That's uh, It's panned out that way. The Collingwood loss, and the fact that you mentioned how they, it feels like they almost gave up, it's very similar to the way that they played against West Coast earlier in the season yeah. when they just went down and went, oh, well, that's it, we're done, we're putting the queue in the rack. And they uh, they got smashed after that one. It had a very, and that hasn't happened very much this season for teams sort of just giving it away and just you know, stopping performing. And the two times that really you know, strike in my mind are, are these two Collingwood performances, which is you know, something that you know, maybe Collingwood has to address. And they've got some big decisions to make coming up in the offseason which we'll talk a little bit uh, about in a second. Is there anything more that we need to take away from this uh, Geelong and Collingwood game? Because, again, after the first half, there's not much to really look at, I don't think.
1: No, I mean, the only couple of things I would mention here, obviously, Dangerfield, everyone's spoken about it. He went forward, had a huge impact. I thought his ability, honestly, just to split packs (laughs) made made the difference. He's so uh, ferocious in his attack, both in, in the air and on the ground. That's why he's such a difference maker. But, again, this is the problem for Geelong, I wouldn't expect the dominance out of the midfield against Brisbane this week. And that's why it's a luxury to be able to play Dangerfield up forward. And the cats are generally winning games when he's able to do that because uh, they can actually take him out of the midfield. And the one last one I would make was selection because we didn't get to speak about this uh, because the teams came out late. Uh, Radically, uh, I thought it was a chance to come into the game. The cats held firm with Reece Stanley in the ruck and Mark Blitzers backing him up, certainly around the ground. Blitzers was huge again in this game. But Sam Simpson came in for Atkins, who I thought Atkins played pretty well against Port Adelaide. But Simpson was pretty good. He was pretty good, and and he played against Brisbane earlier in the season. Was kind of a shock inclusion, and actually led the whole game in disposals. But I I think Sam Simpson did enough. I think he should should expect to play this week.
0: Yeah, I think he was. Uh, I think he was pretty good out there. And uh, yeah, no reason to for me to think that he won't be in the uh, in the team as they move forward. Interestingly, Geelong won by this much. Gary Ablett had ten disposals, only third mm. lowest in the entire team. And another thing, you know, I'm going to talk about it, Kane. Just before we move on to other news. Geelong had 19 hitouts. Collingwood had 37, mm-hmm. and Geelong win by almost 70 points, and uh, they win the clearances plus 13 as well. So, you know hitouts not the most important thing in the world. It's what you do with them, and uh, the fact that Collingwood dominated that number still couldn't get their hands on the footy like almost at all, and uh, and lost by that much is uh, is another another tick in the box of don't look at hitout numbers as uh, as the be all and end all. Shout out to Collingwood for winning something on the night. That's uh, that's great. <laughs> All right, so should we look at some news now? Um, across the AFL we're going to get these little bits and pieces of news coming through over the over the weeks. Um news from Essendon, good news this time with uh, Andy <laughs> McGrath signing on for two more years. Also, just as we restarted uh, started recording, we knew this one was going to come at some point but Arazio Fantasia has requested a trade back to South Australia looking like it'll be Adelaide, you know, those uh, those bad teams never getting anyone to go to them. Uh, Fantasia looking to to go to the Crows here. So that was always on the cards. There could be more departures coming. But the good news is, is McGrath signing on, who was yeah, probably close to their best player along with Ridley this year?
1: Yeah, yeah, he was impressive. Uh, a couple of monster games, particularly with the Bombers, you know, losing Heppel for an extended part of the season and, and their midfield really being uh, decimated at times through the season. So McGrath, it's, a, it's yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a good news story for wrestling fans, that's for sure, because there hasn't been uh, to uh, too much good news. And and Josh, I, I know you're having a dig at me with, with Fantasia going to Adelaide, but listen, <laughs> he he's he, he South Australia. He's just going home. You can't even count that one. It's not uh it's it's not just you I'm having to go at it's
0: just everyone like <laughs> oh no one's ever gonna go to bad teams. it's two players have already requested to go to Adelaide yeah. so far in this uh, in this trade period that hasn't literally hasn't even begun yet. So we'll see how that uh, we'll see how that works out. Um St. Kilda, Jack Steele wins their best and fairest, so obviously their trade period last year is super successful. The only one who probably didn't work out as well would be Brad Hill, but getting Dan Butler, Jack Steele coming across Dougal Howard, like all these guys were way up in the best and fairest, key parts of their team. Hill probably wasn't as successful, and he was probably, not probably, he was the most heralded recruit coming over. Didn't have as good a season as what he would have hoped for, but Steele was unbelievably impressive for St. Kilda and rightfully wins their best and fairest.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking more about the Saints tomorrow because I think they are in a really, really interesting position now because it does become difficult to have this season that they had and everyone praised them, but no one's really going to care next year if they finish sixth and, and you know win one final. They've got to take another step now. So I think they're in an interesting spot. The other news
0: is coming out of Collingwood. Um We've spoken about the Brody Myachek contract situation. I'm actually I'm actually real big on him coming to the Bulldogs. I'd love for him. to. I think he'd be a perfect fit in that forward line. So we'll see how that goes. But now it appears that Jordan DeGoe is uh, weighing up his options with some interesting wording coming out. I'm assuming coming out of Collingwood. And I saw a tweet, and I, I wish I had the tweet in front of me. But it was it was from a I'm going to say Herald Sun journalist. I don't know who it was. We're talking about Jordan Degoe and l- labelling him with the adjective money-hungry. Money-hungry Jordan Dugowie exploring his options, maybe looking at Carlton. Now, Carlton apparently is getting everywhere. They're the new North Melbourne, except they might actually <laughs> land some players. But money-hungry? If someone wants to give him $900,000, what's he going to say? Nah, I'll stay at Collingwood for five hundred. How much of a dickhead would you have to be? Like, this is a job, and it is your life. And you're going to get paid double the amount of money. Like, I, it's... It was a weird labeling. I don't know if it was the reporters doing that himself or it was words. And we've heard this, you know, that I think Nathan Buckley said something along the lines of, well, the only thing that's coming down to is money. It's a, it's, a weird, um, it's a weird strategy from Collingwood to be leaking that sort of stuff out.
1: Yeah, a little bit strange. Buckley, it was a really fascinating postgame from him, actually. I, I know we will, again, same as St. Kilda, we'll talk about the pies a little bit more tomorrow. But, yeah, basically the way he said that uh, Dugowie loves Collingwood. He wants to play here. But there's other people, you know, in his camp that would like to see him get paid more. It's like, well, yeah, of course they would. I mean, his manager wants him to get paid more money, and Jordan probably wants to get paid more money. It's and it's probably Pizer- the manager's job. Exactly. And, and the Pies are in a really interesting spot now because uh obviously Majacek is a player we spoke about. But if they lost Majacek and D'Goey, then you know, that's that's a huge blow for a team that already struggled to kick goals all year. I do expect Collingwood to be in the mix to try and bring in one of these tall forwards. But the problem is if you can't afford to keep a guy like Jordan Togowie, you, you're probably going to be worse next year anyway. And I know that they've had uh, a lot of injuries, but yeah, this this would really be a, be a huge blow for the Pies to, to lose a guy like that. And particularly uh, to a rival like Carlton. I'm pretty sure Collingwood fans would be stinging about that. But Tugowie, uh we've seen it this year. He's a guy that won them a number of games, basically off his own boot. And uh, I, I think it's difficult. They're going to have to probably come down to a choice between him. Uh, Darcy Moore is a guy that I, I think they're desperate to lock down. Uh, Dacos is another one that, because he has emerged, he's a player that they, they really want to keep around, but they've got some tough decisions to make. They're in a really difficult spot. It's another one of those instances of,
0: of players only wanting to play for the good teams. Like, you know, <laughs> Jordan DeGoey, Brody Meyercheck looking to leave a, a Final Six team here perhaps to move to other other other
1: squads that maybe didn't make the finals or, or a bit lower maybe. down we'll see we'll see maybe how this uh, to, maybe uh, maybe to go he's looking at the pies and thinking oh Penderbury's pretty old or oh, these guys are starting to starting to age I might just slip across to to Carlton who are on the rise he might actually believe that Carlton are in a better better spot next year I don't know how Carlton's affording all these players to be honest but
0: I guess you know losing someone like Cruiser and Simpson who would be getting a, you know, decent-ish money would help them I tell you I'd love to see Degoe go, and it hasn't really been mentioned. But I'd chuck him in the Suns' forward line, put mm. him up there, give him that just explosive option. He can go through the midfield as well with yeah, these these young. T- I, I think it'd be awesome to to see him yeah really yeah, blow things up uh, up uh, with Gold Coast. It
1: hasn't been mentioned, but that would be a be a really interesting move, I think. I don't think he's really played. I'm I'm just thinking off the top of my head, so you'll probably. Correct me here, and uh, sorry to the Mason Cox fans out there. If this <laughs> offends anyone, he had four disposals on the weekend. Not a great game for Coxie, but degoey I don't think he's really played next to a, a true key forward, has he? So yeah, Gold Coast next to King, that would be an interesting option. Yeah, and then they
0: he pushed forward. Like the midfield in Collingwood is Adams, there's Trelaw, Pendlebury, side bottom. He doesn't get as many midfield opportunities. now. There is a strong midfield with the Suns, but DeGoey, Rowell, Anderson, like he get a bit mm. more time there. He get a bit. He's, he's not twenty five now. The off field stuff is obviously a concern for him. Mm. Like he's, he's dealing with those problems, and maybe that's part of like Collingwood saying, "Well, we don't want to pay you this extra money yeah. because we're a bit worried about some of this other stuff." And who knows, this is because it's not one incident. He's had multiple incidences off off the field. Maybe there's a worry with that, and you've got to consider that with team culture and all that sort of stuff. But um, yeah, some big big decisions out of all those guys to go. check Moore, Dacos. Who's your number one? Yeah, who's your number one priority? For me, it's pretty clearly Darcy Moore, but I just wanted to see if you had any divergence from
1: that. No, no, it's more. And particularly because, and this is what sucks for Collingwood. Um, Jeremy Howe, obviously we know how well he was playing, but Howe's also uh, over 30 now, or he's about to turn 30. He's around that age bracket anyway, so securing Darcy Moore long-term I think is, is priority number one.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We, as I said we're going to talk more Collingwood and St Kilda during the week. We'll see what other news comes out. That'll wrap it up for today for Monday's episode of Locked On AFL. Kane, you're a pretty happy cat supporter. We're going to be talking preliminary finals during the week and other news around the
1: league. Thanks for uh, coming on with all that uh, pep in your step. Just happy to have another week. Another week you just that's all. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to fight week by week. Josh, guys, subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, leave us a 5-star review
0: on Apple Podcasts and today I'm going to leave you with a shout out to Mill Hannah